you know, whether it's the Thigh uh, Master by Suzanne Summers or Body by Jake or Tybo or P90X, whatever it is, there have been many fitness gods over the last many decades. Well, fitness is a multi-million, maybe billion-dollar industry in our culture, and we have no shortage of fitness apparatus and programs out there uh, that people can buy and, uh, and participate in. You see it all the time. I love the names that they give to some of these, and you know what I'm talking about, like the Gazelle Glider and, and uh, Body Blade, the Hawaii Chair, the Gundy Dog, whatever it is. You know, all these really funny names that are designed to be catchy to get you to buy their product or their program. And of course, with the advent of the fitness watch, it seems that more and more people are at least aware of how unfit they are. Not everybody that wears a fitness watch is fit, nor do they ever have any intention of being fit. But if nothing else, we're keeping up with our heart rate and we're counting steps, right? We haven't done that before, but now we're looking at that constantly. And also, there are a lot of fad diets out there. There always has been, there always will be. You have a health minor, and so I taught uh, junior high and high school health, and I always had this section where we talked about diets. And you know, the only way that you can lose weight effectively and healthy is to exercise and eat right. You know? But that doesn't stop fad diets from coming onto the market and saying, you know, do this, don't do that, eat this, don't eat that, right? in an effort to get you to buy into whatever the diet is. And what usually happens is it's not sustainable, it's not healthy, and then at the end of it, you end up gaining more weight than you had previously had on. So here's where I'm going with all this. I wanted to do a series where we talk about being spiritually fit. And I thought about, you know, different titles for this, Prayers of Steel, Sweating to the Scriptures, but I landed on strengthening. I landed on strengthening our core. Based on your reaction, I should have gone with that. But, uh, I landed on strengthening our core because when it comes to fitness, core is a big deal nowadays. Somebody has discovered that when you work out, you need to be working your core as much as you work anything, which is this section right in here, front of back, because it's related to everything you do. Whether you're getting out of bed or you're walking or whatever it is, your, your core is involved in just about everything related to your fitness, and so you work on your core. When it comes to our spiritual health, our core is our faith, and faith is a muscle, and you've got to work that muscle. If you don't work that muscle, you're going to feel it. My wife is one of these crazy people that gets up at 4.30 in the morning to go work out at, at prime time, the lab, or whatever it's called. I tried it one time, and we got done, and she said, what do you think? And I said, you know, I'm 45. I don't think I want to work that hard. I really don't. I don't mind being fit, but I don't want to do that. But she's one of those crazy people that does that, and she will say, after, you know, missing for like uh, two or three days, because we went on vacation or something, she said, boy, I really feel it. And you're going to feel it if you don't work that muscle of faith. It will atrophy. You may not completely give up on God or anything, but you will feel it if you don't work that muscle. So this evening, I want to start with one of the most fundamental pieces of training equipment. This piece of equipment is vital to strengthening our core, to deepening our faith, and it is, of course, the Bible. And we talked about better Bible study on occasions. Some of this stuff you'll be familiar with because you've probably heard it before. But I don't think we can talk about it enough. When we talk about the Bible, we're talking about the most vital piece of training equipment 
that is involved in exercising our faith. And, of course, we'll talk about some others as we go along, but we start with this one. It's very, very vital to our, our spiritual livelihood and our spiritual health. You know, sometimes people buy a piece of exercise equipment, they bring it into their house, whether it's an elliptical or, you know, Bowflex or something like that, and they use it a few times, and after a while, it becomes a place that has no cleanliness. And the Bible can be something similar. It can be a place that just... It can be a thing that just gathers dust. It's a paperweight. There's some things you need to know before you open this book. And I want to talk about those for just a few minutes. Again, these are pretty basic. We have a lot of folks, though, coming into our fellowship here, and they're wanting to know what we believe, and they're wanting to know the basics. And so it's going to be good for them, and it's going to be good for you, too. But these are elementary truths that we need to understand before we ever even open the Bible. And here's the first one. God is speaking. You need to understand that before you ever open the Bible, that what you're opening is the God-breathed words that should affect your life in a profound way, right? We've heard this scripture many times in the last few months, 2 Timothy 3.16. It reveals that all scripture is God-breathed. And as we've mentioned before, that word God-breathed is one word in the Greek. It's a compound word, theodoustos. Theo meaning God, and Eustos meaning wind or breath. Incidentally, the Greek word for scriptures is graphe. So, when Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is God-breathed, what he is really saying is that all scripture is a sacred body of writings. So you understand that what you hold in your hand before you ever open it is no ordinary book. This is God's instrument of communication with us. Secondly, the Bible is the ultimate authority. It should be held in highest esteem. Before you ever open it, understand that it is the final arbiter on all truth. Everything. We want to grab truth and get some truth from this thing and this, that, and, and all these other places. But as we've said before, culture cannot determine truth. The things in the outside world cannot determine truth because our world wouldn't know truth if it came up and bludgeoned it over the head. Culture is constantly changing and shifting. The standard is, is fluid. And so we always go back to what's real, what we know to be absolutely God-breathed truth, and that is the Bible. And so before we ever open it, we know that it is the solid foundation that we can build our faith and our lives upon. Third, this is important. The Bible was not written to you. And I've said that on many occasions, and it's absolutely true. Read the Bible. It wasn't written to you. There was an original audience. There were people who were receiving this for the first time. Now, that doesn't mean that it has no value for you. Quite the opposite. It was written for you. It just wasn't written directly to you. And the reason why that's important is because we have to understand what the original audience was hearing. Who was in that audience? What was being spoken to them, right? Understanding the circumstances, the, the, the things that surround whatever it is that we are reading. That's whole context. And that aids us in our interpretation, right? We can't make the interpretive leap of trying to apply it to our time and culture until we consider who it was written to 
first and foremost, again, that's for context. The context has to do with the writer, the readers, the circumstances that prompted that writing in the first place. Fourth, the Bible is divided into two main sections, right? You've got the Old Testament, you've got the New Testament. Now, that's very basic and very elementary, but how many doctrinal errors have we seen be made because somebody that's religious doesn't make that distinction? Listen, folks, you're not Jewish. You never were Jewish. At least I don't think any of you are or were. So when people pull from the Old Testament to dictate what they do today for worship, you're not Jewish. You never were. Even if you lived in that time, you wouldn't have followed the law because you weren't God's chosen people. There's a specific people that's being talked about here that God had chosen. Now, does that mean that the Old Testament has no value to us like some people claim? Absolutely not. The Old Testament has great value for us because it shows us how a holy God interacts with His people. It shows us what sin looks like and how God deals with sin. And, as we've talked about over and over again the last couple of years, the Old Testament points directly to the New Testament and a new kingdom and a Messiah, right? The Old Testament sets up the New Testament. It is vital to our understanding of the redemption story because we are the new Israel. We are God's chosen nowadays as the church because... Jesus brought a new kingdom, and he brought us access into that kingdom, right? Fifth, the Bible is written in different languages and in different styles. Scripture has three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And there are different literary styles that are used as well. You've got epistles, you've got proverbs, you've got psalms, you've got uh, narratives, poetry. It's important to understand that there are different styles. It's important to understand the different languages. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to understand the Bible or have a a degree in in biblical languages. But it's important to at least understand the basis of what we see when we look at Scripture. Because what you have now is not the original manuscript. Right? You don't have that. Now, if you use a valid version of the Bible, you've got copies, you've got people who made a translation, right, from those copies and looked at all the the manuscript evidence and came up with the translation. And if you don't know what approach your translation uses, you can take that Bible that you have, you can look at the front, maybe the front page or right around the front there, and that will tell you what uh, strategy that Bible translators use in coming up with their translation. Word for word is always better, I think. I would encourage you to always use word for word in your daily Bible study. Even word for word is difficult because there are some things that just don't translate from our language to Greek or Hebrew. But still, word for word, thought for thought, it's not the demon that many people think that it is. Some versions of the Bible are not worth the paper that they're printed on. But thought for thought, it's not horrible either, depending on what version you use. But I'd still encourage you to use word for word when it came to your daily Bible study. When it comes to it, recognizing style, understand that in order to, again, make that leap of translation or application, you have to understand that style. You have to understand what style the author is employing. How many doctrinal errors have stemmed from just the book of Revelation? And they're all related to a literal interpretation. Revelation was written in apocalyptic language. It's largely symbolic. It's called God's coloring book. 
But we get a lot of doctrinal errors, like premillennialism and dispensationalism, because of a literal translation, not understanding literary style. And finally, the Bible is one continuous story. When you read the Bible, read it as one continuous story, a story of redemption. The Bible begins in a garden and it ends in a garden. The Bible is about man falling away from God and God buying him back. It is a story of hope. And every word is drenched in the blood of Christ. Understand that when you crack open this book, every line you read relates back to the theme of redemption. Here's how Paul described it. Again, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You're going to know this by the time you leave this earth, if you're at Odin Lane for any length of time. It's good for doctrine, what is right. It's good for reproof, what's not right. It's good for correction, how to get right. It's good for training in righteousness, how to stay right. I would say this as a word of advice. When studying the Bible, when studying Scripture, read intentionally. Don't just sit down and go through your daily Bible reading so that you can check it off the list. Read intentionally. Before you ever open the book, pray. Pray that God help you to understand and discern what it is you're about to read. Pray as you're reading. Pray that you get the most benefit from what you're reading. Pray for enlightenment. Pray that, that God will help you to understand. And remember that you're not just reading words on a page. You are reading words that are God breathed. Don't ever take that for granted. Don't ever take that lightly. I was coaching out. I walked in the gym one day, and there was this young man who was really sweating and working hard. He was doing some sort of exercise that I had never seen before. And I walked over to him and I said, so, so what are you doing? He said, well, I'm working hard, coach. I said, yeah, I can see that. I mean, you're sweating. You, you really are working hard, but what are you doing? And he looked at me confused. I said, well, what muscles are you working with this exercise you're doing? Again, he looked at me like a deer in the headlights. He had no idea. He was working really hard doing something. He didn't know what he was doing, really. He was doing something. And I think sometimes that's the way people feel when they go to the Bible. They open it up, and they know they should be doing something, but they don't really know what they should be doing. They don't make sense of it. It's intimidating. It's, it's this huge, huge undertaking that they don't seem to, to be willing to, to dive too deep into because they're afraid that they're going to get it wrong, that they're going to mess up, or that they just won't understand. And I get it. I get that people are intimidated when it comes to Scripture, especially if you start at the beginning and just kind of read your way through it. You're going to hit some snags, aren't you? There's always going to be things that you don't understand or things that you have trouble discerning. That's okay. But in line with what we've already talked about, let me give you just a, a, a few things that I think will help you in studying your way through the Bible. And I think the first thing is start big. Start big. Understand that there is this 30,000-foot view, right? When it comes to opening God's Word, one of the first things that we must understand is that there is a bigger picture to everything that we read. 
Again, there is a story here, and it's a story of redemption. And people often miss the point of Bible study because they're not willing to dig in and do the hard work. It's kind of like when you get a, uh, a puzzle, and it's got a thousand pieces, and you sit down at the table, and you begin to work on it. It's quite a daunting task, isn't it? Getting all those puzzle pieces to fit. And so, you know, you look at the box, and you look at the front of the box, and try to figure out what it is you're trying to determine here. If you work on it long enough, the pieces are going to start fitting together, and eventually it'll get easier and easier. When it comes to Scripture, we have to do the hard work of making the puzzle pieces fit. Every piece of Scripture is a piece of the puzzle that fits together to form a bigger picture, right? But so often we miss that because what we do in our culture, even in the church, is we want to pick out just one piece here and one piece there and make it stand alone. We hunt and we peck our way through Scripture, or we proof text our way through Scripture, and we think that that's good enough. We go to the Bible and we find that piece of Scripture that agrees with us, and then we say, well, that's it. There we go. We look at Romans 10, 9 and 10, and we say, you know, just let Jesus in your heart, you'll be saved. Yeah, you can't just rest there. There's other Scripture that is to be involved when we talk about salvation, right? Or we look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, do not judge. Jesus said, do not judge, therefore you can't judge me. Okay, well, there's more to be said there, right? There's a whole lot more to that. And we've got to do the hard work of making all the puzzle pieces fit together. When it comes to studying Scripture, we've got to start big. The psalmist said, the sum of your word is truth. The sum of your word. Not pieces of it. The sum total of it is truth. The Bible is not an encyclopedia. It's not a dictionary. Some of his word is true. You can't just look up a verse and say, all right, the Bible says it, therefore that's where I stand. Because every piece of Scripture contributes to a bigger picture, a bigger theme. Every verse must be seen as contributing to a bigger context, right? To a bigger picture. Here's something else I would say. And I mentioned this last year in our one-word study. And I think it's important to repeat. And that is, we need to be humbly troubled by Scripture. We need to be willing to be humbly troubled by what the Bible says. Now, it's almost impossible to approach the Bible without some sort of bias or prejudice. All of us go into uh, the Bible, uh, into Bible study as interpreter, right? It's hard to kind of step back and take a, a totally, completely honest approach. But we got to do our best. I remember discussing the Bible with my mother before she passed away, and we were talking about some issue, and I said, yes, Mom, but the Bible says this. And she said, I know what the Bible says, but I, I just can't believe that. Okay, well, then we're done, right? But so many people want to try to convince and argue and all that. No, I mean, we're done. If you're not going to accept the Bible as, as the ultimate arbiter of all truth, if you're not going to hold it in highest esteem, then where do we go from there, right? That's just difficult, but it's what we say to the time. Unfortunately, if we're not willing to accept what God has said and let that be what stands, it's going to be hard to, to make any headway with somebody. My approach to Scripture must be one in which I'm ready to be challenged and I'm ready to be changed. The Bible is transforming. But not if my heart or my eyes or my mind is closed. So after reading, ask yourself some questions. Ask yourself, what should I do? Ask yourself, what should I be? Ask yourself, to what should I devote my time and energy? Ask yourself, 
how can I better differentiate between right and wrong? And ask yourself, what does this say about God? So we're reading intentionally. We're reading for application. And we're reading to be humbly troubled. Because we're not only studying the Bible, we're allowing the Bible to study us, right? When it comes to application, I don't remember who it was, but they came up with this acrostic, and it's called Space Pets. And you'll see why. The S means, is there a sin to confess? The P, is there a promise to claim? The A, is there an attitude to change? The C, is there a command to obey? E, is there an example to follow? P, is there a prayer to pray? E, is there an error to avoid? T, is there a truth to embrace? And S, is there something to praise God for? Bottom line is this. We, we not only study God's Word, we look at it like a mirror. And we examine ourselves. We look introspectively as we look into God's Word and we say, Am I growing? Am I being transformed? Am I willing to examine myself by the standard and, and see if I measure up? And if I don't measure up, am I willing to do something about that? Am I willing to be humbly troubled by this? And the last thing I would say is land the plane. Can I rant for just a minute? I had college professors, not necessarily in, in theology, that never would land the plane. They wanted to stay up in the clouds. They wanted to spend all their time on the trivial and the peripheral. Folks, you've got to land the plane when it comes to Bible study. At some point, you've got to land on something concrete. Chasing rabbits, going down wormholes, that may make for good fodder. But at some point, you've got to land the plane. Because God never intended for us to stay on the peripheral. He never intended us uh, for us to concentrate on, on the peripheral or the trivial or the ancillary. He expected us to land on His truth. And so when it comes to Bible study, we have to land the plane. When it comes to preaching, sometimes I'll get done preaching and, and, and I've had people say, yeah, but don't you think it could be this or don't you think it could be that? Maybe, but I don't have that luxury. I've got to preach the Word to you. I've got to do my best to help you understand what God is saying here. So I don't have time to stay in the weeds, right? It's like when we're studying the parables of Jesus. Well, don't you think it could mean this? Don't you think it could mean that? No, because Jesus meant it to mean one thing. This isn't some code you've got to break. This isn't some nebulous thing. When Jesus spoke to those people, he meant one thing, not four or five. And we've got to discover what that one thing was. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's hard to determine what the biblical writer was saying. But he had one message in mind, and we've got to understand what that message is. And we've got to do our best to make the puzzle pieces fit together. And how does that apply to me? So don't spend all your time trying to figure out if it was a whale that swallowed Jonah or another type of fish, because that doesn't matter. You're missing the point of the story. Who cares if it was a fig or a pomegranate? The point is they ate the forbidden fruit, right? There are deeper meanings that we need to get. Quit focusing on the nebulous. Instead of looking, you know, all the time at the at the gray and all that. And there are some gray areas. I'm sorry. Some people, you know, the Bible's just black and white. No, it's not. I wish it was always, but it's not. There are some gray areas. And we do our best with those areas. 
The ones that are bragging white, we land. We land the plane of what the truth is. And we do our best with the others, right? But quit spending all your time in the weeds. Stop focusing on the incidentals. And remember what Paul said. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. Land the plane. Because there is a goal to Bible study. And it's not just so that you can be more academically minded or so that you can philosophize about something that Jesus said or so that you can show how smart you are. No, this is about application. It is answering the question, so what? So what? What does this have to do with me? How does this make me a better Christian? How does this prepare me for heaven? That's what it's all about. So while it may be fun and, 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 and you know, we might get... You know, I kick out of talking about some of those things, and don't get me wrong, I don't mind talking about the trivial and the peripheral things at times, but I've got to land the plane, and you do too at some point. At some point, we got to land. If you've ever bought a piece of, if you ever bought a piece of exercise equipment, maybe you went and got a gym membership. Maybe you bought a, a smartwatch. What happens? When you make that purchase, of that exercise equipment, or you go to the gym and you, you you sign up and you get that gym card, because they open a new one every week in Abilene, right? But you go and get you a new gym card, or you buy that fitness watch. What happens almost immediately? I feel healthy, right? Yeah, I feel good about myself. I'm going to make a change. I haven't done anything. I just purchased the equipment, right? But all of a sudden, I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime, and... Everything's going to change. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to exercise. And, of course, keeping that up is difficult, right? But initially, we have that excitement. We're going to change what we look like. We're going to lose weight. Or we're going to put on muscle or whatever. We're going to be fit. I wish we had that much excitement when it comes to being spiritually fit. That initial excitement that says, I- I'm going to jump into this, and I'm going to improve my spiritual health. I'm sure you remember exactly what I said the first sermon this year. Everybody remembers, right? That I'm going to be your spiritual strength coach this year, at least try to be. And this is one of the first steps. It's better Bible study. Jumping in and making it a routine, putting forth the effort and the energy so that we can watch our faith grow stronger and stronger so that we can make that muscle of faith more toned and bigger, and so we don't allow it to be like that old treadmill that just gathers dust or becomes a closet and your foot falls, right? My encouragement to you is don't be sedentary with your faith. Be active. I know life gets in the way. I know you've got all other things going and all these irons in the fire and you're spinning the plates. Nothing is more important than this. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so whatever you've got going on in a day, this has got to reach priority at some point. It's kind of like my dad. He came through town Friday and delivered some loads out here. And so he called me and I went and met him and we talked for a while. And I said, Dad, why don't, why don't you just sell all your trucks and drive to Walmart and make $89,000 a year? And he goes, yeah, I can do that. I'm sure Walmart's looking for a 70-year-old man with a heart condition. I'm sure that's what they want. We put more emphasis on our health and we almost lose it. He's done that. 
I'm sure some of you have been in that same boat. Put the emphasis on your spiritual health before you do that. If we can help you, come as Caleb leads us in